Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates the, the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi and the state of Mississippi, for that matter, a better place to live, work, and play. Hey, before we start our show today, I posted at the uh, Ricky Matthews Coastview uh, Facebook page today uh, something I want, want to get your help with. What I'm looking for are bright young people who are doing extraordinary things, the pe- young people who are inspiring others. You know, they could be a musician, a songwriter, uh, a leader in the community. Even someone sent me a note this morning about this cool race car driver who's 17 years old who's won a bunch of races and uh, – and you know that that this kind of story I want to start to share. I want to I want to begin to focus a little bit more on young people, and and share their stories. So if you know a really really interesting and inspiring young person, uh, go to the the Super Talk Gulf Coast Facebook page and let us know, or you can go to my Facebook page, Ricky Matthews Coast View, and uh, I'd love to hear about it. So now today we've got a we've got a terrific guest. We've got Sean Tyndall who's the Mississippi Public uh, Safety Commissioner. And uh, he's really new to the show. I mean, excuse me, new to the position. He's got a great past. He's a Gulfport native and someone I've really been looking forward to having a conversation with. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Ricky. So I assume you're in Jackson today, huh? I am. I am. I've been up here all week, and uh, it's been kind of fun. I brought my 12-year-old with me, and he's been shadowing me this week, and uh, he's 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 glad that with the decision Dad made to join the Department of Public Safety. He's uh, enjoyed seeing all the big guys walk around with firearms on their sides. <laughs> good for good for him. Well, you're a good family man. We'll get into all that before we before we get done with our conversation today. But you were appointed by uh, the governor uh, on May the 20th this year. Uh, you serve at the pleasure of the governor, and you assumed office on January the, on June the first. So, you know, six weeks roughly. You've been in the position now. Uh, so you've been drinking from a fire hose, haven't you? It's been a lot. Um, you know, I'd handled their budget in the Senate, so I knew it was a large organization. But, you know, I, I guess until I got here, I'd forgotten exactly how how many divisions it had and, and how many different bureaus that it oversaw. And uh, I, I think what so, people, Sean, when people think about the um, the Department of Public Safety, they they tend to think about the Highway Patrol, which is obviously part of it. But um, let me do, I'll just run through the list real quick. Mississippi Highway Patrol, Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics, Driver's License Services. We're going to talk about that one. <laughs> Homeland Security, Public Safety and Planning, Mississippi Law Enforcement Officer Training Academy, the Mississippi Crime Lab, the Mississippi Examiner's Office, and Crime Stoppers. Wow. That's a lot to say grace over. It is. It is. And it's a lot and, and, and a lot of a lot of – I mean, it's centralized on law enforcement. But, you know, there, there's also – when you start getting into the crime lab and driver's license services, there there's things uh, that go beyond law enforcement that require a lot of attention. So yeah, I know. I know. Look, we'll we'll get it again. We're going to get into some specific as we get into this. But right out the bat, you you went in on a as a man on a mission uh, as it relates to the driver's license situation. I know the COVID situation complicates it, but I've always been amazed. With all the customer service and technology capabilities that are out there, that we we never saw 
the driver's license bureau really embrace the latest customer service excellence programs that that could really serve the community there's always been so much frustration in that area across the state so what what's your thoughts on improving that well you know one, one i would say that you know, over the years, things have kind of changed. It used to be when, when you and I got our driver's license, uh, we, we went, when we were 15, got a driver's license, uh, did a test, and then we left. Um, now, uh, you know, you got to get a learner's permit, then you got to get a uh, 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 intermediate license. Uh, people can get their firearm permits there. Uh, sexual offenders register there. Um, so there, there's a lot more things going on at driver's license services. And, you know, I think the tendency was we've always just done it this way. Let's keep doing it this way. Yes, add these additional services, but we'll, we'll just keep doing it the way we've been doing it. And, and, and it finally caught up to them. and long lines and, and especially with the real ID requirements, everybody having to bring new information just to renew. Next thing we knew, we had lines wrapped around the buildings. Um, and so one of the things that we've really been looking at is, is bringing in technology. Um, we should have an online reservation system coming up in September. Uh, we're going to start allowing online renewals for firearm permits. Uh, same thing for the sexual offender registries. Uh, so we got a lot of things in the works that I think are going to improve when people have to come in person, the experience that they do have. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good to hear. I know you're really focused on it. I know that was one of your major goals. Again, we'll get into some of the other heavyweight stuff as we get into the conversation. But let's let's kind of start from the beginning. You know, where did your inspiration come from for public service? You know, I, th- th- there was a number of things, but I, I can tell you, um, I guess a turning point in my life was I, I was my first year of law school. Um, I just completed um, that that first year. I had a job lined up to work in Jackson, and my dad, who lived um, on the coast, uh, passed away. And uh, so I decided that that summer, instead of living and working in Jackson, I, I would come home to the coast and, and be with my grandparents. And the uh, I didn't have any jobs lined up. And if, if you're in law school during that first year, uh, you try to do as good as you can, then you try to line a job up for the summer, uh, an internship. And so, I, I, although I had one in Jackson, I didn't have anything lined up on the coast. And I came down there and uh, I interviewed for several jobs, but they were already full. And I went and met with Kono Karana, who was the DA at the time. And he, he told me he would bring me in, uh, let me work as an intern for the summer. And I, I remember asking him, well, how much can you pay me? And he just chuckled and said, no, 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 you, you get the experience and I'm not going to pay you anything. I said, okay. Well, having no other options, that's what I did. And I, I had an MBA and an undergrad degree in finance, and so I was always focused on business law that first year. And I came into the DA's office, uh, worked with a guy named Scott Lusk and, and Mark Ward over in the Biloxi office. And I got to tell you, I just fell in love with, with being a prosecutor. I mean, I knew right then that I was going to go back and shift my focus and, and, and try to take some courses that would gear me towards uh, being a, an assistant DA. And uh, and so I think at that point, it kind of started clicking that I really I, I could do this and, and make really good money or I could I could find some career paths that they gave me a little more fulfillment personally. And, yeah. uh, and that's why I ended up uh, going going that route. And so I think that was that was kind of a key moment. And I, and I can tell you, I think throughout my life, I've just been one of those people that have always wanted to be involved. Um, you know, yeah. So, it was so Sean, how old funky. were you? How old were you when your dad died? Uh, that was 1999. Um, yeah. So I was 20, 20, 26 years old. 
Yeah, and that was, I was, my, my father died when I was 21, and you know I describe it s- similar to the way that you did. It was kind of a turning point in my life. I reevaluated a lot, and you know you reach these everybody, everyone in their lives reaches these forks in the road. I talk about it on my show from time to time, where you have a choice to make, you know. And um, one of the things I decided to do, literally at that moment in my life, was to make him proud. And I just focused on that. And I worked harder than I've ever worked in my life to kind of rebuild my, my uh, education and do things in my life that would that would really make him proud. I, I guess you had the same kind of thought, huh? I did. I did. And and my dad had a lot of issues. I mean, he was he was a 100 percent disabled veteran um, and he had PTSD issues and and alcoholism. And, you know, it lived with my grandparents for for all my life, really. And so. Um, yeah. we were close, uh, but you know, also, I guess growing up and the way I grew up, um, I, I, my, here I was, my, my dad lived with my grandparents. Papa was a lineman for Mississippi power. Mama was a school teacher. And then on the other side of the family, I had my mom who uh, grew up on a dairy farm in Stone County. And my, my stepdad, who, who was pretty well off, had, had made you know good money and been successful. So I, I had all these different influences in my life and, um, you know, I think I think that realization to me was that you didn't have to have money to be happy. You know, I saw yeah. folks with money. I saw folks without money. And I saw folks in the middle class. And we just uh, the money was was a back back factor. You know, happiness was the key factor. So. Yeah. Money does not buy happiness. I'm convinced of it. I, I know some pretty wealthy people who are quite miserable. And I know some people who don't have a pot to pee in. And they're happy as they can be. It's all about perspective. But, you know, um, you approach it that way in life. You can have a public servant's heart. It makes it easier to say, I want to be a public servant. Yeah. uh, When you look at it that way. Well, it's it's interesting. You know, it's interesting that you had um, those those early experiences. But uh, I think probably that opportunity to work in Kona's office was really a huge fork in the road for you. Oh, it, it was a key point because. I was very naive to politics. I was very naive to government. I mean, you know, I did not grow up in a very political family. Um, you know, I remember the first time I met the mayor, I, I, th- I thought I'd met the King of England. I mean, you know, it, <laughs> that was a, that was a big deal to meet the mayor of Gulfport. So, um, you know, I, I, w- I was so far outside of the political realm, even though I was interested in it, um, I really didn't understand it. And so that, that was a key turning point to be able to start working with supervisors, uh, working with other elected officials um, and, and working with law enforcement. Um, so and, and having that fulfillment, I tell folks I, that was the best job you could have as a lawyer um, was being a prosecutor. Let's do this. Uh, this is Sean Tindall, the, the new Mississippi Public Safety Commissioner. And uh, when we come back from the break, we'll continue to sort of uh, go down his, uh, his track that led him to this position. We'll be back after this break. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. A Super Talk Mississippi media production. 